Do you have your Bibles tonight? Amen. Amen. That's a good thing. When you come to church, it's a good thing to have your Bible with you. And uh, if you would be finding in your Bible Psalm chapter 40, Psalm chapter 40, it's a, a wonderful passage of Scripture, a familiar passage of Scripture, but I believe the Lord has something very special to speak to us tonight. When you find that, you can stand with me for the reading of God's Word, Psalm chapter 40, beginning at verse 1. Do you have it? Say amen. Amen. Me too. So there is an inscription on this. It says, to the chief musician, a psalm of David. Verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. He has put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto God. Many shall see it in fear and shall trust in the Lord. Blessed is that man that maketh the Lord his trust and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord, my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to us word, they cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Now, we're just going to be looking at those first five verses tonight, but let's read verses two and three again real quick. It says, he brought me up also out of a horrible pit out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings, and he has put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto God. Many shall see it in fear, and shall trust in the Lord. The title of the message tonight is Good News for the Down and Out. Good news for the down and out. You may be seated. Now, if that's you tonight, I believe the Lord has a special message for you tonight. You may have come into this house and things have got you down. You may be energy negative tonight. You don't even have a little. You might be, uh, you might be struggling to get here, but you've come to the right place, and I've been praying about this. The Lord began giving me this message last week, and I believe he has something very special, a message of encouragement. Normally, I like to take a psalm, and I like to go through it and just cover the whole psalm, but that wasn't what the Lord led me to this time. He wants me to focus on these first five verses because I believe he wants to bring you some encouragement tonight. How many could use some encouragement, amen? I think we all can from time to time. So first of all, I want to say here we have a testimony of the saving hand of God. David is testifying in this psalm. See, David was testifying about a low point in his life. He was testifying about a time that he says he was in a horrible pit in the miry clay. That doesn't sound like a very good place to be. He talks about being in a horrible pit. Now, we don't know exactly what incident he's referring to in this psalm. Many times the psalms are related to a, a, a specific time in their life or something of that nature. We don't know about exactly what incident he's referring to, but David nonetheless is testifying about a time that God stepped in and God began to move to bring him out of a place that he calls is a horrible pit and out of the miry clay. God came to David in an hour of darkness and he brought him up and he brought him out of that place. Now, I want you to know tonight, God still moves in places of darkness. God still moves in your hour of darkness. God still moves in your difficult places. Now, you might be saying, well, what do you know about that? Well, David's the one testifying, and uh, David knows an awful lot about that. And David was no stranger to difficulty and suffering. You know, you think about the fact that he was a man after God's own heart, but yet things didn't always go well for David. Sometimes things went really bad for David. If you ever wonder why are things happening, it's because we live in a sin-cursed world. We live in a wicked world, and there are evil things that happen, and no one's exempt. Even David, this man after God's own heart, suffered many terrible things in his life. You know, 
you even think about when David was anointed king, it was about 15 years before he ever actually got to be the king over all of Israel in that unified kingdom. It was, that was a long time. And you know what? Those were 15 long years. Those were not easy years. In fact, in that time, he experienced war and isolation and heartbreak and loneliness. He lost his best friend, Jonathan. Uh, he knew sorrow. You know, King Saul tried to kill him multiple times. You can remember he would be playing his harp, minding his own business, and Saul would try to throw a spear through him and pin him through the wall. I mean, he wanted to make David a dartboard is what his goal was. I mean, that's no fun. And so David, even, even after that, David was haunted like a wild animal. He lived out in caves, in dens, out in the wilderness. He was a fugitive. And let me tell you, these years were really bad years for David. And, and, and here's what, I, if I was to take a guess, the incident that maybe David is drawing from, I would, I would and this is speculation, but I would say maybe it was this time in David's life. These long 15 years. I believe that you might be able to say that David was testifying about how this whole period of his life just felt like a horrible pit. It felt like he was in the miry clay, like he couldn't make any progress in any direction. I think that David might be testifying about these years in his life. The reason why, these were crying years. These were, these were troubling years. These were grieving years that David faced. A long time. A long time he faced those things. And, and I'm sure that he felt like, you know, I know God has told me the direction he's going, but it sure doesn't feel like I'm making it there at this moment. But finally there came a day where God brought him up. And God brought him out of that fugitive lifestyle. Now, I'm not the only one that thinks that. Uh, a commentator by the name of G. Campbell Morgan, a well-respected commentator, said this. He said, in this case, the reason for the song, in all probability, was that of the deliverance of David from all the long experience of outlawry and suffering, and the fact that he had been brought to his coronation. So I believe that probably, and again, I don't know this for sure, but probably, and I think there's good reason to believe that David might have been referring to this time of exile, this time of being on the run, these long years between the time when he was anointed king to where he finally one day was brought to the throne, that time between he was, when he was in the mire to the day that finally he was brought up out of that mire where he was despised, he was rejected till finally he was seated on that throne that God had anointed him to be on. I believe that that was the, the time that he was referencing where he said, God brought me up out of that horrible pit and he put my feet on a rock and he put a new song in my mouth and he set me up in the place that he called me to be. I think that's what David may be looking at here. But you know what? It was a long wait. It was a long wait. And I think that's why David says what he said in verse one. Listen, I waited patiently for the Lord. And he inclined unto me and heard my cry. See, I believe those were crying years. There was a day where things finally came together. King Saul was, uh, was dead. The civil war that had been raging between the tribes of Israel was over. And the nation came together and anointed David king over all Israel and Judah in that unified kingdom. And I believe that David finally came to that place God had called him to be. And you may, you may be saying, well, I don't know if that's right or not. Well, in any case, how about this? God brought David. David was testifying of the faithfulness of God, of the power of God to bring him out of a place that was rotten, a place that was terrible, and to a place where he was able to sing and give glory to God. So if you don't like what I said, well, you can at least agree with me about that. There you go. See, we're all friends again. Through darkness, pain, suffering, everything, God, he was testifying of a faithful God. And I believe God is still in the delivering business tonight. I believe that. I believe that with all my heart. Now, here's the first thing I want you to underscore about this passage. God's help is the best help. And his help is worth waiting on. God's help 
say that with me. God's help is the best help. David says in verse one, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. Charles Spurgeon remarked that many of us might read that and say, I waited impatiently for the Lord. And that would probably be true for most of us. Sometimes we feel like I waited in patiently for the Lord. See, we often want to take matters into our own hands. We say, uh, God, you're taking too long on this, so Lord, let me help you out. But God's hand is the saving hand. It's not ours. See, we want to take things. We think we can solve the problem. You say, God, you're taking too long. And many times when we do that, we only make things worse than what they started at. God's help is the best help, and it's worth waiting on. The Bible says in Proverbs 16, 25, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. When David was on the run, there were times that he could have killed Saul. There were times that he could have sped that process up and said, there he is, I'm just going to take him out and I'm going to, I'm going to take matters into my own hands and I'm going to do it my way. He could, have, he could have jumped the gun, he could, have, he could have went ahead, but he would have been wrong in what he was doing because David had to wait on the Lord. David had to patiently wait on the Lord. And sometimes we have to patiently wait on the Lord. We want so bad to run forward, but God says, no, not yet. Things aren't ready yet. I'm not ready for you to go there yet. But when it's time for you to go, the door is gonna sling open and all you have to do is walk on through it. God doesn't want his people hanging on the doorknobs, swinging around, banging on a door that he's not ready for you to walk through yet. When it's time for you to go, it'll be open for you. Like when they came to the tomb, who's going to roll away the stone? And they got there and it was already rolled away. That's a way that God works. See, and, and so God's help, he is our best help. Psalm 46 verse 1 says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. A very present help in trouble. So you're saying, well, I'm going through it. But yeah, but God is a very present help in times of trouble. Now, if you think about that, if you're in the same house with somebody, they're present with you. Wouldn't you say that? But if they're in the same house, in the same room, standing beside you, I would call that very present and that's the difference. See, God is right here beside us. He said he would never leave us nor forsake us. So in the dark times, in the troubling times, I want you to know that God is very present. In fact, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. That's very, very present. That's good news for us. That's good news for those that are down and out tonight. That's good news for those of you that are struggling tonight, that God is a very present help in times of trouble. See, here's the thing. Many times our problems are bigger than us. They actually are bigger than us. Many times our problems, see, the mountains are too high. We can't go over them. The valleys are too low, too dark. We can't seem to navigate through them. Life is unpredictable. Isn't it? I mean, if you've lived past a couple days, you know life is unpredictable. One thing, every, one moment, everything's fine, no issues, and the next thing, the whole world is falling to pieces, and you're reaching out there trying to grab them all to hold them together, and you just can't do it because the problems are bigger than you. You need someone who has the ability to hold all things together. And the Bible says that Jesus is the one who holds all things together. The Bible says, yes. The Bible says in Colossians 1.17, he is before all things and by him all things consist. That literally means Jesus is the one that is holding all things together. And the world is in his hands. And if he can hold the world into his hands, he can hold you together too. Amen. Hallelujah. I like that. I like that. God, God has to do a lot of holding me together. I got, I got lots of things he can hold together. But our problems, many times, they, they are actually bigger than us. And you need someone that's bigger than your problems, and that's Jesus. We can't overcome or save ourselves. You realize that? 
When the problem is bigger than us, we need that help. We need help when something is bigger than us. We don't have the strength to lift the burden. We don't have the the strength to carry the load. We don't have the power to overcome, but Jesus does. And when you're with Jesus, you can go through anything because he can take you through anything. Now, here's the other thing. God offers true hope and a way out. God offers true hope and a way out. You know, sometimes the enemy will box you in on every side, doesn't he? And he tries to make the room smaller and smaller and smaller till you feel like you just, you're paralyzed there. But you know, the enemy can build walls all around you, but he can never put a roof on you. And you can always look up to God. You can always look up to heaven because you have a help. You have a very present help in times of trouble. So the enemy comes and he boxes you in. He says, you're never going anywhere else. And you say, oh, but wait a minute. I still have one more move. And you begin to cry out to God. And God can bring you out. Hallelujah. I love Isaiah 55 verse 6. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Did you catch that? While he may be found. God can still be found. Sometimes we wonder that. Lord, where are you? God can still be found. Jeremiah 33.3 says this. Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you know not. That means that God can still be found in the midst of your trouble. God can still be reached when you feel like everything is crumbling around you. God is still there and he says, call unto me and I will be there to help you in your times of trouble. Hallelujah. See, that right there is good news for the down and out. That is good news for the down and out. If you came in here troubling, uh, troubled in your spirit, that is good news. Look, it's like I said earlier, we're going to have problems. We're going to face issues. I'm not, I'm not trying to, to convince you that you're never going to have a problem because you absolutely will have problems. <laughs> I'm not trying to tell you that, but here's what I'm saying. Even if God doesn't bring you out of something, he can bring you through it because the psalmist says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. So for the believer, whether in life or in death, it doesn't matter either way. God is going to bring you through to the other side and we're going to have the victory through Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. That's it. That's it. Either way, we win. Believer, we win. Either way, either way, we're going on. Now, here's the thing. Things can change when you cry out to God. Things can change when you cry out to God. The last part of verse 1 says that he heard my cry. David testifying. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined unto me, and he heard my cry. David had a need. He cried to God. You know, sometimes we forget to do that. You know, sometimes we say, well, we've got to pray about this. And there's something in us that says, well, has it come to that? Is it that bad? That ought to be the first place we go. That's the first place we go. Start there. You might feel like the father of the demon-possessed child in Mark chapter 9. Remember where he had the demon-possessed child and the enemy had a stronghold on this young man. And it seemed like no one could help him. And and oftentimes he was cast into the fire, into the water. And and he brought him to the disciples and they couldn't do anything to help him. And he, he brought him there, and, and the father was distraught. I mean, he, every, everywhere he looked for help for this child, he couldn't seem to find help. He was at the end of himself, and, and, and there was no one that could help him. But Jesus was up on the mountain, and when he came down, there was someone that could help this man with this child. When Jesus came down, and Jesus found there was this commotion, and the scribes were questioning, and, and Jesus came over there and said, you know, why are you questioning them? And the father says, I brought my child. Child to, to them and they couldn't help him. 
They couldn't, they couldn't help my son. Now listen to this in verse 20 of Mark chapter 9. Ultimately, Jesus says, bring him to me. Jesus says, bring him to me. And Mark chapter 9, verses 20 and 21, listen. And they brought him unto him, and when he saw him straightway, the spirit tear him. And he fell on the ground, wallowing, foaming, and he asked his father, Jesus asked, how long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, of a child. See, this, this father of this little boy, demon-possessed, was bringing the need to Jesus at this point. Jesus said, bring him to me. And the father of this child was bringing him to Jesus. Look at verse 22 through 24. He says, and oftentimes it has cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said unto him, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. You may be feeling that way tonight. There's no help anywhere else that I go. Every place that I've gone, I can't seem to find the answer to my need. And Lord, if you can do anything, help me. I believe. Help thou my unbelief. And you know what Jesus did? He cast the devil out of that child. He gave that child freedom. He gave him victory because there was one that could help. And when the father of that baby began to cry out to the Lord, when the father of that child began to cry cry out to the Lord, things changed. And it's the same for us here tonight. When we begin to cry out to God, things can change because God does hear your cry. God does hear your cry. You may feel like your prayers just won't take flight. You know, you pray them and they roll off your bottom lip and they drop on the floor. Some critter comes running by and grabs it and runs like, hey, you bring that back here. I wasn't done with it yet. You feel like the ceiling is brass and you just can't get through. You, you can't seem to make it. But you keep praying anyway. You keep crying out to God anyway. You keep calling out to him because God does hear your cry. Isaiah 59 verse 1 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. God does hear your cry. Yes, there can be things that hinder our prayer. Sin can hinder our prayer. There can be things that trouble us in our prayer. But if you'll come to God in humble repentance and say, Lord, I don't know what else to do, but in the best way that I know how, I'm asking you for help. If there's anything you can do, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. And I believe on the authority of God's word that he hears our cry. <laughs> Hallelujah. He heard the cry of his people in Egypt when they were in bondage. They were in bondage in Egypt for hundreds of years, and their situation was only getting worse, and their taskmasters were afflicting them daily, and there was pain and there was sorrow, but they cried out to God, and God heard their cry. I want you to hear what God said in Exodus chapter 3, Verses 7 and 8, he's speaking to Moses at the burning bush. Listen to what God is speaking to Moses. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people, which are in Egypt, and have what? Heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows, and I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and large unto a land flowing with milk and honey. I believe the ears of God are still open. I believe the eyes of God are still open. And I believe that God sees you where you are. I believe he sees your affliction. And if you begin 
begin to cry out to God, I believe God will begin to move. And when these people begin to cry to God, what did he do? He sent them a deliverer. And I want you to know here tonight that God has sent us a deliverer. His name is Jesus Christ. And we can cry out to him because he has broke the powers of darkness. He has broke the power of sin. He's delivered us from darkness into his marvelous light. God sent us a deliverer. Hallelujah. God has intervened for us. God has done what we could not do. See, God understands your cry. Remember, in that verse, he says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people, which are in Egypt. He said, I have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. God understands your cry. He sees you. God knows why you're crying. He doesn't just hear the cry. He knows why it is that you're crying. That's what he says. He said, I know their sorrows. Even if no one else understands your pain, God does. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. God became a human. God took on flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. The invisible God became visible, the person of Jesus Christ. He lived the human experience. He felt hunger. He felt sorrow. He felt pain. He felt the things that we endure, and he endured the pain of all the world on the cross. He endured the suffering of all the world, the agony of every person that, that ever lived. Jesus knows what it means to be a human, and when it comes time and we're struggling in our life and we say, God, no one else knows what I'm facing. No one else gets it. No one else has been there. I want you to know that Jesus Christ has been there. And in all things, he has gone before us. He's gone before us in life. He's gone before us in death. And he's gone before us in resurrection. And he's a very present help tonight for you. Yes. Hallelujah. <laughs> I like that. God hears you. He understands your cry, and he knows where you are crying from. He sees you there. Remember in that verse we read, he says, I, I've seen their cry. I've heard their cry of my people which are in Egypt. He knows right where his people are, even geographically. He knows where every person is in this room tonight. Right there where you are, God sees you there. And he knows all of these things about you. A beautiful thing is that you're never lost in the crowd. I've, I've always loved this. I, I think I heard Vance Havner allude to this one time. He says, you're never lost in the crowd. And you remember that woman with the issue of blood, 12 years they did everything that they could do, and nothing helped her. But she heard of Jesus, and she said, if I can just press through, and if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I know I'll be made whole. And there was all the multitudes around him pressing on him, all the multitudes of people that were there, the giant crowd of people. And she pressed through, and she touched the hem of his garment, and immediately she was healed. And Jesus said, who touched me? And they said, Master, there are people everywhere pressing on you. What do you mean? And he says, someone touched me. Someone touched me. And here's the beauty of that. Amidst all this crowd, amidst uh, all these people that were surrounding him, Jesus turned his, his attention to one individual person in the mass of people. Because she was not lost in the crowd. And that's true. You can see it in John 3.16. For God so loved the world, that's the crowd, that whosoever, that's the individual. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, you and me, the individual, yes, he loves the multitudes, he loves the mass of humanity, he loves everybody, but he also will turn his attention to you individually and said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall not perish but have everlasting life. So if you feel like you're lost in the sea of humanity, if you feel like there's so many people, how does God care about me? How is God seeing me? How does God know anything about me? I want you to know that you are never, ever lost in the crowd. God knows where you are, right there where you are. Amen. Praise God. That's a comfort to me. I hope it is to you. So that brings me to this. There's good news for the down and out. Let's get down into it. And then I'm, gonna, I'm not going to keep you forever, but I might keep you forever. Just kidding. There's good news for the down and out. So listen to David testify. Listen to David testify. These first three verses of Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. And he inclined unto me. That means he stooped down to hear me. And heard my cry. And brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay. And he set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. And he has put a new song in my mouth. Even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. David was testifying. He was telling his story. He wanted others to know what God had done for him so that they would understand what God could do for them. David was saying, God did this for me. See, David had been down and out. He had been down and out. He got it. He had been in a horrible pit. He had been stuck in the miry, deep, miry clay. And that horrible pit is a place of darkness. You realize that? The horrible pit is a place of darkness. You know, they always do this on the cave tours. When you go into a cave and they take you way down as far as they can go, when they get you to the furthest place away from where you came in at, then they turn the lights out on you just to show you what it's like. And you're like, I don't remember signing up for this. And, and they say, see how dark it is? And you can feel the darkness, can't you? It's so thick, you can feel it on you. And that's what he's, you know, it's, it's immobilizing. You wouldn't dare start walking around or move because you have no sense of direction. You don't know where you're at. You wouldn't dare try to do anything because you would be lost for sure. And that's what David is talking about. A horrible pit is like, it's, it's a place of darkness. And there are places in our life that are like these horrible pits. There are places when you feel like you are down in the darkness, down in despair, like you're down in sorrow, like you are out of peace, like you are out of circulation, like you are isolated, like you are immobilized. Places in your life like this. But here's the good news for the down and out. God can lift you up. God can lift you up. No matter how far down you are, no matter how much you're grieving, there's a hand that can reach down to the bottom of the bottom, and he can lift you up out of that pit, and he can put you in a good place. The arm of the Lord is not too short to reach you right there where you are. He can lift you up out of the horrible pit. The horrible pit. Now let's think about this horrible pit for a minute. There are places in life that seem like horrible pits. You might have extended seasons of suffering that feels like a horrible pit. You might have extended seasons of difficulties that feel like a horrible pit. You might feel like every single day is a struggle in your life, but here's the thing. God can lift you up. God can encourage you. God can strengthen you. God can help you in those places. God can bring you through in those places. There are places that feel like a horrible pit, but here's the worst horrible pit of all, and that is the pit of sin. Sin will hold you captive in darkness. It will immobilize you. It will paralyze you. It will rob you of your joy, and if you let it, it will destroy your life. 
That's what sin does. Now, you may be in the horrible pit today through disobedience to God. Perhaps you gave in to a temptation and you knew what you were doing was wrong. And you knew even that it was a trap. You knew uh, that it was not leading anywhere good, but you thought that you could manage it. And you went on anyway. You disobeyed God, and now you discovered that the action led to a pit that was much deeper than you thought it was. And you've fallen in and found yourself in darkness. Immobilized, there's hope. I came to tell you tonight there's hope if you feel that way. The Bible says if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And by the cross of Jesus Christ, He can lift you up out of the horrible pit of sin. There's something else about the horrible pit. You can be lifted up out of the miry clay. In the horrible pit is the miry clay. That's what he says. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay. That is deep, wet, muddy clay. Now, I've got a pond that I was walking down to the other day that's being uh, built. And there's clay everywhere being spread around to seal that. And it had rained not that long ago when I went down. It's been a few weeks back. It rained not that long ago, and so I walked down there just to look around. And as I did, my feet began to stick in the clay. And every step that I made, there was more clay. And I went down there about five foot eleven, and I came out at least six foot nine when I got. (laughs) And you know, I, I was like thinking, will this come off? I mean, it sticks to you. Will it come off? And it was all over my shoes, and I was scraping it on stuff, and finally I just had to get the water hose and blast it off of there. That was the only thing that could do anything. Now, here's the thing about that. In the horrible pit, there is the miry clay, and there are things in there that will stick to you. Things that will stick to you in the horrible pit. There are things that won't let go of you. If you've ever got into real deep stuff, you almost don't get your legs back. You sure don't get your shoes back. And that's what David's talking about. At the bottom of this pit, there's miry clay. There's things that stick to me, and I couldn't get loose. See, see, you can get into a place where depression will stick to you. You can get into a place where fear will stick to you. You can get into a place where addictions will stick to you. All sorts of things, uh, vices that are available today, sin will stick to you in every form and every fashion, but there is no hold strong enough that can keep you if Jesus reaches his hand down and lifts you up out of the horrible pit and out of the miry clay. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that depression itself and and fear itself are sins, but sometimes sin brings those things on and they stick to you. I want to clarify that. There are people that have medical conditions and things of that nature. So please don't confuse the two. I think you know what I mean. And here's the beautiful thing. This is the good news for the horrible pit, for the miry clay. When when Jesus lifts you up, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Remember I said I I had to hit my shoes with the water hose. Those things that stuck to you, they cannot stick to you when the blood of Jesus is applied to your heart, the cleansing agent of the blood of Jesus Christ begins to wash you clean, then you can finally be truly, completely clean from those things in the horrible pit, from the things that have been clinging onto your life. Hallelujah. I came across a video, I thought it was fascinating. There were people out in the ocean and they come across this humpback whale floating out there. Beautiful, huge animals. And uh, they thought it was dead at first, they're out in a boat. They thought it was dead, it wasn't moving, and they could just see it floating there. So they come up beside it, 
for a few minutes, and then next thing you know, it, it blasts the air out the top of it. You know, they do that thing. Finally, it, poosh, it does that. You know, blasts air everywhere. That was the best whale I got. So, And then they realized, well, okay, maybe it isn't dead. And there was like four or five people on this boat. Maybe it isn't dead. So one of the guys gets his snorkel out, and he jumps in to see what's going on because it's weird that it's just floating out there in the open, not doing anything. And when he got in there, he realized, and he's seen that there was a net tangled up all over this whale. A nylon net had wrapped up his pectoral fins and pinned them to his body. It had wrapped all the way down him and there was so much junk on his tail, so much of that net that the whale was up here, but his tail was weighed down 15 feet below the water because they were such a giant mass attached to his tail. The whale had just simply been floating along because he got tangled up and, and there was nothing that he could do about it. He was basically just waiting to die. And so these guys, they went to work. They, all they had was one knife, and they went to work, and they started cutting the net off of this whale. And they started, they were able to get one of his fins free, and then he could sense a little bit of freedom, so he started, he started paddling, and, and it took the boat on a ride for about a half a mile. And then he got tired because he still had all this weight hanging off of him on his tail. So they kept going, and they're pulling the net up into the boat as they cut it. And they're piece by piece. They're trying to break him free, and they got the other fin free. And they keep on working on him, and they keep on pulling more of the net out of them, more, more trying to free him more and more until they finally they got to his tail. And, and they were able to cut that stuff off of there. It took a long time. I was watching this, and they have a lot of this on film. You can see it happening. And they're cutting it off of his tail, and finally they cut the last piece, and he's free. And he realizes, he starts to realize, the whale, he starts to realize, wait, the weight's gone, and I have my fins back, and he starts to swim away. And everybody on the boat, you know, they're high-fiving, this is awesome. And then about 500 feet out there, crashes into the water. And then again, And he does one of them rolls, you know, he's slapping the water thing. And he's doing, you know, and then he puts his tail up, and then he's doing this, and you know what he was doing? He was saying, hallelujah, I am free. And that's what happens when Jesus comes to us. We're bound in the net of sin. We're bound up. We're immobilized. We can't do anything. We're just waiting to die. But then Jesus comes, and by the cross of Calvary, he begins to cut away the net. He begins to cut away the bondages. He begins to cut away the sins. Till finally, we are totally, completely free. We've been born again. We've been saved. And we can begin walking and leaping and praising God, we can say, hallelujah, I am free at last. Woo. Yes, hallelujah. I thought of that man that was healed, walking and leaping and praising God. That whale was making a show because he was thankful for what happened. And that's the same thing we got to do when Jesus, who the Son sets free, is free indeed. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And here's the beautiful thought with that. God doesn't stop at just up and out, but he also brings us in to something better. You remember he said, I'm not going to read it for the sake of time, but... God told Moses, I'm going to bring you up out of Egypt. I'm going to bring the people out of Egypt. And I'm going to bring them into a land flowing with milk and honey. I'm not just going to bring them up. He says in Exodus 3, 3, 8, to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 23, he, he recounts it like this. He says, he brought us out from thence that he might bring us in to give us the land which he swear unto our fathers. God will always bring you not just up and out, but he's going to take you somewhere too. He doesn't just bring you out and drop you on your head. Thank God. I don't think I could stand another one of those. I ain't got much to lose there. 
but God will bring us out. See, we're going from somewhere to somewhere. He brings us out of the horrible pit to the solid rock. He brings us out of condemnation to no condemnation. He brings us out of darkness to light. He brings us from corruptible to incorruptible, from death to life. With Jesus Christ, someday we're going from this sin-cursed world to God's glorious heaven. And he puts us in a solid place. That's what David says. He says, he brought me out of the horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock. We're standing on the rock of Christ Jesus, a solid place. We come out of the mire where things stick to us, and now we're on a place where we can weather the storms of life, where we can endure the troubles of life because God has brought us up, and God has brought us out, and God has set us on the rock of Christ Jesus, a place of stability. On Christ the solid rock I stand, the hymn writer says, all other ground is sinking sand. That's right. He gives us a new direction. Also in verse two he says, he established my goings. We're all taking steps somewhere, but the believer is taking steps towards glory. A lot of people are taking steps in the wrong direction, but God is taking us in the right direction. He has established our goings. He's put us on that rock and he's pointed us in the direction of Jesus Christ and he says, you're gonna walk this way and someday I'm gonna take you into glory. I've established your going. I give you a new vision, a new hope. He set our eyes on heaven. Our eyes are set on eternity now. Our eyes are set on that place where we're gonna be with Jesus Christ forever and ever. And not only that, but he turns our cry into our, a praise. We become a testimony. That's what he says in verse three. Look at that. He has put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it in fear and shall trust in the Lord. Your place of trouble, your place of difficulty, your place of hopelessness can become the place of testimony to others who are in a horrible pit tonight. And when God has brought you out of a place of darkness, when God has brought you out of a place of bondage, when God has brought you out, testify of the goodness of God. Be like that whale. Be out there jumping and splashing saying, God has done something good for me because others that are in the horrible pit will see that and say, well, if God did it for them, maybe, just maybe God will do it for me. And I believe that he will. Your witness can make all the difference. And David goes on basically to say, you're never going to go wrong trusting in the Lord. Verse four, blessed is that man that maketh the Lord his trust and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Press on. David's saying, press on. When God's done something for you, press on. Persevere. Don't give up. Don't turn aside to all the lying voices in the world today. There's so many proud, lying voices in the world today. Say, Lord, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow the voice of the Lord in the word of God. I'm going to go the direction. I'm going to walk in the way that you've established my steps. I'm going to walk that way. I'm going to go. I'm going to persevere. I'm not going to turn aside to the right hand or the left. The Bible says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. And when you do that someday, the keeping hand of God's going to keep you here and someday you're going to be delivered right to the throne of God. You're going to be presented faultless before the throne of his glory with rejoicing is what Jude says. You're going to be hand-delivered to glory. And then as I finish the message, Brother Chris, come on, get ready to bring a song. Remembering the works of God is good for the down and out. That's the final thought of tonight. Remembering the works of God is good for the down and out. Verse 5, many, O Lord, my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to us word, they cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. 
Many, O Lord, my God, are thy wonderful works which you have done. If you're discouraged tonight, turn your thoughts to Jesus. If you're troubled tonight, turn your thoughts towards him. Turn your thoughts towards the blessings that he's given you in your life. Turn your thoughts towards the mercies of God, towards the promises of God, the many wonderful works that he has done. Because as you dwell on those things, the other things that you've been dwelling on, the troubles that have been bothering you are going to dissipate because you don't have room for all the many wonderful works of God and your troubles in your brain. You're smart, but not that smart. This is a psalm that is beautiful. And also, if you read through the rest of it, you find out that it's a messianic psalm. It talks about the Savior coming. Verse 7 says, Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me. Jesus came to this pit. Jesus came to this pit, this world. We were in trouble, and Jesus came, and he went down into the pit. He went down into the grave for us. And he allowed all of our sins and wickedness to stick to him. And he bore the full, unrestrained wrath of God on the cross for us. He died. He went down into the horrible pit to the grave. You might say he patiently waited. (laughs) And on the third day, he rose again from the grave. Because it was not possible that death should hold him. Because Jesus did that, if we put our faith in him, because he went into the horrible pit for us, good news. He came out, you don't have to stay there either if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. If you've never been born again and you're in that place tonight, whether you're watching online or whether you're here in the house, Jesus is willing to save you tonight and to bring you up and to bring you out and to set your feet on a solid rock and give you a new direction in life and a new hope and a new joy. It's simply putting your faith in Jesus Christ, saying, Lord, I realize that I've sinned against you. I didn't realize my sin was that bad, but tonight I repent in the best way that I know how. I'm asking you to forgive me to save me, to come into my life. Give me that new heart and a new life. The moment by faith you put your trust in Jesus Christ, repent of your sins, you have God's promise that you'll pass from death to life. You'll have a new heart and a future in heaven. That's a beautiful thing, amen? And that's good news for those that are down and out tonight. We're gonna have a song And if you have a need tonight, we're going to open the altars and and any kind of need that you have, you can bring to the Lord. But I just want to encourage you to think about the good news that you heard tonight and the good news of Christ Jesus and everything that he's done for you. We'll have a few courses of a song and then we'll be dismissed. These altars are open. Would you stand with me tonight?